previously on the psychology of entrepreneurship. I'm a little insensitive to victim complex, meaning, you know, the one thing I will say is if you get on stage in a room that says harsh feedback, you're going to get it straight and you aren't ready for that, don't put yourself in that position. I don't believe in the victim complex of like, oh, well, I tried, but you still shouldn't be mean. Like, that's not right. I don't do the pity party thing on the other side. Like the pain points and the struggles of running a business, I'm not public about. Because I don't think there's any, it's not productive. It's nefarious, man. Like the brain works in fucked up ways. The mind is one of the most deceiving, manipulative pieces of equipment, flesh, human bodies on earth. I never have trusted my brain. All of that weight lives in our head. And you are the decision maker. Psychology of entrepreneurship. Hi, it's Ronsley. If this is your first volume, welcome. This is a weekly series where I go inside the mind of an entrepreneur, artist, athlete, academic to decipher what is the psychology of our decisions. I'm Australian and I'd like to acknowledge our traditional custodians of country where I live and work. I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge our continuous connection and contribution to land, sea and community. It's been a while, hey. Lots of changes, and since this is the psychology of entrepreneurship, it is probably important that I address uh, the break that I took over the last few months. At the end of May, my grandma died in India after having COVID-19 for three days. Um, for what may seem like obvious reasons now, I stopped everything. Both podcasts stopped publishing. I wanted to take a break uh, to process it all. What was the biggest impact was that I couldn't go back to say bye. I'm in Australia and haven't left these shores for what seems like forever. Anyway, I'm back and I've missed you. For me to get my rhythm back, this show will be released monthly until I'm comfortable in increasing that frequency. But enough about me. My guest today is an entrepreneur that I admire a lot. She's done lots of cool things, including most recently created her own million dollar business in a year called Her Empire Builder. She's a powerhouse. You'll see her book, Million Dollar Micro Business, in bookstores everywhere. With all the cool things, there is one thing that is the biggest of all the things. I think one of the biggest things, and this is why I'm so passionate about um, being loud about what I do as well, is so much of the examples that we see super successful businesses. Uh, like I was talking about Gary Vee yesterday to someone and, you know, he's got the whole attitude of while they sleep, we work and we hustle and we grind. And a lot of people, I think, cap themselves at business growth because they go, actually, I want to I want to have a balanced life. Like I I want to be able to have a good relationship with my partner. I want to be able to be a good parent. I want to be able to travel. I want to be able to do all these things. I don't want to just run a business. And so they think that if running a really successful seven-figure profitable business means saying goodbye to all of that. And so people will often just cut themselves off from it. And so I'm really intentional about being an example of going, you don't need to be famous. You don't need to hustle and grind all the time. You can actually 
package what you know and share it with other people. I mean, the software and the technology that's sort of available to us now, like we couldn't do what we did five years ago. Like it's just, it just wasn't there. It's now so easy, so accessible. You need no tech knowledge. You just need to show yourself as a human. Showing up as yourself. Ah, yes. That seems quite simple to say, but not that easy to execute. Especially if you haven't shed that stupid voice that keeps saying, what will they think? More about that in this volume coming up and how also to build your business around you and your expression. But before that, I wanted to know what was Tina's most exciting memory when she thinks back on her entrepreneurial journey? I remember opening my first franchise and weirdly, my first franchise was in Cairns, north of Australia. And I walked down the street when I got there, I got out of the airport and went to make my way to the hotel. And down the street, I saw a little girl walking with my Begin Bright bag, which was what my company was called, on her shoulder, just walking along, like talking to her mum, smiling. And I was like walking along the other side of the street going, oh my God, that's mine. That's mine. That's mine. And that was so incredibly exciting. And then like that afternoon went to the center and it was the first time I'd seen all our signage on someone else's building without me doing it. That was probably one of the best. That's as soon as you said that, that's what sticks in my mind the most. One of the stories in Tina's book is where she got this comment from a guy who told her that she giggles a lot and that makes her sound less professional. Actually, I'll let Tina explain. I had someone when I started my podcast like send me in the email saying, you know, I think your content is really good, but if you want to be taken seriously, you've got to kind of cut it with the giggle, you know? <laughs> and I like I am a giggler. I just I just do like emotion. I'm a highly charged emotional person and it bubbles out of me. And one of the best parts about getting older was I started business when I was 20 and through my early 20s even trying, I had an educational toy store and even trying to get trade accounts and all of that sort of thing, people would ask to speak to my parents or speak to my husband. And I was really taken as like this airhead because I wore rainbow clothing and I laughed a lot and was just really enthusiastic about life. And as I kind of hit 30 and then beyond, it flipped to now you ask most people, oh, Tina Tower, do you know her? And a lot of people will say, oh my gosh, I love her energy, her vibrancy, like her enthusiasm. And now that I'm older, it's taken as a lot of energy. Whereas when I was younger, it was taken as, you know, she's just a ditzy airhead. So I'm really grateful for age for that. Um, But nothing about my personality has changed. So I'm always really careful to never underestimate girls because they're really capable of a lot if you treat them seriously. I mean, anybody is. Uh, And so, yeah, I think one of the best parts that I've seen is that we can come in all different flavors and all shapes and sizes and all personality types. And that's one thing that I've really started to see being embraced in the last kind of five years, especially, is not having to stick with, like the like the lecturer told me that I wasn't suited for the corporate world because I didn't fit like the, the traditional dude in his suit taking life super seriously. That's really what it came down to. Maybe I could have gone into the corporate world and given massive bland vanilla companies the shakeup that they needed. We'll never know. <laughs> 
but I'm glad that he steered me off off that path. Obviously, I've I've created a life that I absolutely love. But I love that now you can be who you are a lot more. Did you know the latest biggest threat to women expressing themselves is Afghanistan? Afghan women know the Taliban's history all too well. When the Taliban were previously in power from 1996 to 2001, they banned most education for women and girls and confined women to their homes unless a male family member was with them, denying them access to most jobs or even freedom to leave their house for a walk. I think in general, as entrepreneurs listening to this podcast, having a perspective on how lucky we are to be able to express ourselves is just important. A lot of humans right now are not having that much luck in doing that. Our ancestors definitely didn't. I think we've all got to step back, get out of our own way and serve the people with the gifts we've been blessed with. Huh? Anyway, rant over. Tina? Were you always entrepreneurial? No, I spent a lot of my early life not knowing who I was or, or what I wanted to do. I mean, I, I came out of high school. Um, I wanted to be a lawyer in high school and I did work experience as, as a lawyer and went to court and went into court on work experience and they were trying this case where I was actually on the, um, the criminal lawyer side and he was a rapist and they like everything was trying to get him off. And that was like, so, so the moment that I was like, okay, this isn't the world for me. I don't want this to be like my everyday life and what we're exposed to. I think people in those fields and in medicine and in all the things where you're seeing people at their worst times on their worst days and dealing with really heavy stuff. I just knew at that time, I didn't want that for my life. And so I then went, okay, looked at my grades really and went, what else should I go into? And saw business, went into business, did that and got to the end of my first year. And I had a lecturer pull me aside and tell me that he didn't think I had the right constitution for the corporate world and business. And I should look at something else. And to to his credit, we designed like our, our corporate branding and our identity and, and I had made these business cards with smiley faces on them. <laughs> so I was always that way inclined. And so he said, maybe you should do something that's more appropriate for your personality and go into education because, you know, what else is a happy bubbly girl supposed to do other than teach children? Turned out it was the best thing for me. I switched into an education degree, loved it, but then started my business second year of uni. And so I'd always done a lot of things. I was always, and what I'm about to say could be misconstrued in a lot of different ways. I always thought I was made for more. I always thought I was going to do something great. I'd started getting into Anthony Robbins and Robert Kiyosaki when I was like 15, 16. I went to my first personal development seminars um, and like getting into Amway as well and Network 21 and, and like <laughs> different things that, that brought out that personal development and that idea that if you could, I know it sounds so corny, but the idea that if you could dream it, you could actually craft and design your life around whatever it is that you wanted to do and be. And I always kind of had that in me, but I didn't know what that was going to look like yet. And it's, it's taken me a really long time. I feel like up until a few years ago, I was still finding that. Expressing yourself is one thing as an entrepreneur, selling your services and your business and yourself. 
that is new emotional barrier breaking territory. Like talking of sales though, because I know where a lot of my clients, they selling can be construed as like sleazy selling and we don't want to sell to people. And also people don't like to be sold to. Um, so that is, that is a big thing as well. One of my friends, um, Colin Boyd, he has this system that he's trademarked called infusion selling. But one of my favorite sayings of his is selling is serving. And that really changed my mindset on selling in going, okay, if you look at where your customers are right now, they're wanting to get better on Clubhouse. They're wanting to repurpose their content. They don't know the tech to use. They don't know how to set up. They're flying blind. They're wasting so many hours. For $1,000, you can add tens of thousands of dollars to their bottom line, make their lives so much easier, give them training that they can use again and again, help their VAs, help all of this. If you just put that in front of them, you could be the perfect solution to their problem. So you're actually serving your customers by putting that offer front and center. Whereas if you hold back and you don't show yourself, you're doing your customers a disservice because they don't know it exists and you're not solving their problem. Okay, Tina, you're the expert say we express ourselves the best of our abilities, put ourselves out there. How do we sell? What's the secret? Okay. So with, I'm a big fan of, of live launches. Like the limited launch formula is what I talk about all the time and going open cart for eight days. My favorite thing about doing that is I only launch twice a year. So I can go, I go loud. I go heavy on sales for eight days, but then I don't have to do it again for six months. So then I can focus that six months on just loving up my customers, adding value, not selling a damn thing, <laughs> which I love. But then when you're into that sales period, everyone's there and everyone's been waiting for what you've got. And it's that sense of urgency. So everyone jumps in straight away and you actually, it seems counterintuitive. I've tried evergreen courses that are open all the time and the launch, you get far more with a short launch window than you do having it available all the time. So the only way evergreen really works is when you're funneling a bucket load of Facebook advertising to it. And you've got really beautiful funnels that are pumping with Facebook advertising with a price point that's like lower than $500. That can work really well. Or if you're famous. So like if you're someone that's known in the industry, like Amy Porterfield, James Wedmore, Jasmine Star, like they can do high price evergreen through Facebook advertising. But if you're just like a regular unfamous person, then you need to show yourself. And this is where I think um, I've just come off launch. So I'm very, very fresh <laughs> on, on all of that. Uh, but the human element is your superpower. So you just sell for seven days? Yeah. So that's, that's your urgency and scarcity is, is the timeline, not the places. You don't need to cap the places. So an example of this, I had a client who said, you know what, my first one, I'm going to cap it at a hundred. We're going to do the live launch week. And I was like, don't cap it. Don't cap it. She's like, no, no, I just want to do it there because I really want to be able to go. We sold out, you know, that's going to be a good thing. Anyway, a good thing for who? A good thing for you and your ego or a good thing for all of the people that, you know, you could have helped that you didn't otherwise help. Anyway, she launched, we opened it at the evening. She woke up the next morning, nine hours later, and she was at 103. And I'm like, so do you want to turn it off? She's like, well, yeah, I told everyone I'd cap it. So we got to turn it off. She was supposed to do a seven day launch. So missed out, not only did she miss out on the profit and the business building of all those people, but potentially hundreds of other people missed out on getting the benefit of her program and her service. When we come back, preparing the launch, how to show up 
and generational issues that are important for us to cover so that we can have equality. Our aim with this audio documentary has always been to build a strong community of entrepreneurs and creatives to provide a space where they can use their voice to share their authenticity with the world. As a valued listener, your voice matters too. We love to hear your feedback and ideas. So don't be shy to let us know how we're doing in the ratings and comments. If you have a message for our production team or know someone who would be a perfect fit as a guest, you can find out more information on how to share your input at psychologyofentrepreneurship.com. Before the break, we covered expression being the example and how to sell for just seven days. But just selling for seven days, there seems to be some prep work involved in that. Yeah, so before, so I call it the off-season. And I think that the off-season is actually more important than... I mean, I'm a sucker for like American football movies and all of the sport movies. So I use a lot of those analogies. Um, but yeah, I think what you, the training that you do beforehand and how you get primed is, is way more important than when the game is actually on. Because if you haven't done what a lot of people do is they don't seed it and they don't prepare it. And then they just come out of the gate and they've got something open and launch and people are like, what, what is this? And it's too much decision too quickly. Um, and so between now and then, that's when you're getting people excited, but you're not giving them the option to buy it yet. And that can sometimes seem counterintuitive because you're like, hang on, but I want to strike while the iron's hot. While they're there and they're asking for it, I want them to be able to buy it. But you don't. You, you, want, you want to make them wait. <laughs> you want to get them excited and say it's coming. So it's like between now and then, every conversation you have, you just drop in Clubcasting is coming. Clubcasting, you may wonder, like, what is clubcasting? This is what it is. Or this is, yeah, and you get people excited. And then you have your free lead magnet. We all know how much I love Clubhouse. I'm there every Tuesday, 7 a.m. Brisbane time. And I think that works out to 2 p.m. Pacific time on a Monday for those in North America or in the past, as I call them. Also, that might change when daylight savings time change. So be aware of that. But 7 a.m. Brisbane time, join me on Clubhouse. It is the Psychology of Entrepreneurship Club. And we talk all about podcasting for business. Anyway, Tina, you must get this question. But what if I have nothing to sell? Yeah. Um, so I find like, you know, you mentioned beliefs before. A lot of people underestimate how much they actually know and how much valuable information that they have to share with other people. Because when someone's really, really good at something, it's so second nature. And so being able to actually break that down and go, all right, I have this that I can package and sell to the world is sometimes hard because I'll talk to people and go, well, this is your thing. And they'll go, no, no, no. Like everybody knows that, right? Like that's so easy. I'm like, no, it's easy for you, but everybody else gets super confused by it. Like sometimes there's things that I'll talk about and, you know, people will go, oh my God, my mind is blown. This is incredible. And I'm like, really? Like this is the simplest thing, but that's what makes it so good. Um, so I think when you're looking at, at being able to scale the knowledge that you have is going, what is second nature to you? What are people asking you for advice for all the time? Because that's always the telltale is sometimes we'll think, 
we're really good at one thing and that this is our thing and this is what we're marketing ourselves as. But there could be like this constant stream of people that are coming going, I see you do this. How do you do this uh, that you haven't actually pinpointed? And if you go with naturally what people are perceiving you as, um, then that often works really, really well. And then I go, you've got to love it. So this goes against what a lot of people say. Um, You know, I've seen people say, go with what's marketable and what can sell a lot. But I think if you don't truly love what you do, it's never going to work because you have to talk about it so much (laughs) again and again and again and again. And, you know, we live in this, you know, like you're talking about Clubhouse a lot and it's really easy to pick up from people when they actually care about what they're talking about and when they're not. And people won't buy from you if they think you're just doing it to sell something. You've got to really believe in it. So that's kind of the few things in how to start. According to unwomen.org, the most important thing you can do for equal rights is using your voice. From an article they released before International Women's Day, they say, Whether you're talking to your friends and family or engaging with an advocacy organization, the most important way to be an advocate is speaking up by raising your voice for women's rights and gender equality. You can spread awareness and break down barriers. I wonder to myself a lot. (laughs) I'm a daydreamer. Well, you know, you know that. But what I wonder most is who is looking at me when I decide not to be brave and put myself out there? Tina continually does that. And actually, I need to compliment her on that. Tina, you show up so amazingly for yourself and for your people because they see what you're doing every day. <laughs> Thanks. Um, look, I think I am in a very lucky generation. The women in the generation before me worked really hard so that I can be who I am. Now, uh, I think I'm one of the first generations that have been able to do that. And I see that a lot. Most of the women that I work with are older than me. They're in their 40s, 50s and 60s. Um, and I see like a lot of the women, especially in their, in their late 50s and 60s, have this, this hard exterior and this um, guard up a lot. And then they'll talk to me and they're endearing and beautiful and soft and feminine and amazing. And then when they step into public, up it comes again. And and it's really hard to drop that guard and show themselves. And that is by design. That is because if that was done through their 20s and 30s, they were discounted. They were emotional women and they just wouldn't be welcome into those certain rooms. So they had to have this hard exterior and behave like men do in a lot of traditional situations. And I mean, I even think it's been great for men because men are now able as well to drop that freaking bravado exterior a lot that we've had to see held so much. I mean, I look at my sons now and I go, who they can be and the beliefs that they can hold and the way that they can behave is so different to the men before them. Um, So, I mean, I've dealt with a lot of things. I I don't notice it as much as the stories that have happened before like from women before me, um, I only notice it with things like um, it happened. So I've got my second book coming out this year and there was someone that I was dealing with uh, whose name was Chris and I thought it was Chris the girl. 
I'd only been speaking with them over email. And so we were like bantering back and forth and all this. I'm like, oh my God, I love her. She's so funny. And like a month later, as we got into the process and I realized Chris was a man and I was like, oh shit. And then I thought of all my correspondence and realized, oh my gosh, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said this. I shouldn't have said that. And I, had you asked me before that, I would have said, no, I don't talk any differently to men and women. No different at all. And then I realized, oh my gosh, so different. I was like, was that flirtatious? Was that, because we were bantering, right? We were having like this conversation back and forth. And so, yeah, that was quite interesting and polarizing to go, oh yeah, I do have things that I didn't know that I had. So there is always the kind of censorship in in doing that and, and in business travel and in board meetings and making sure you're never alone and all of the things that are so naturally ingrained in us um, that we do have to have to be careful of. But I do um you know, I see so much progress. I know it was International Women's Day this month. Um, and so, so much of it is in the public eye and there is so far to go. I mean, the domestic violence rates in Australia and the world are just incredibly terrible. Um, we pay a lot of money for girls in Kenya for scholarships to go to school because if they don't, they get married when they're 13 and 14, often to much older men. And it's just the inequality in the world is still gapingly horrendous, but it's headed in the right direction. Um, so I do a lot of work with the UN and their um, goals that they have. And you know, they're aiming for so many things by 2030. And most people would say it's absolutely impossible. We've got a hundred years before we're at gender equality, but I think that we're really underestimating the generation of people that are coming up under us because I talk to a lot of teenage girls and man, they have confidence. <laughs> like they are ready to go. There's so, you know, so many gender disparity issues are just not even the thing for them. Yeah. You know how I feel about equality, about bias, about disparity. So I'm not going to go into that here today. Listen to previous volumes, especially the Death Row series and the Aboriginal Leaders series. So let's land this plane. Uh, Tina, final words, especially how do we show up as an entrepreneur? So like you said with Clubhouse, right, is people can suss you out really, really quickly. And a lot of people, especially the people that I work with, have been working behind a brand, working behind the business for a long time and not putting themselves to the forefront. But the more you're willing to show up and serve and give free content and lives and talk to people and connect and add value and just like a fire hydrant of beautiful, valuable information, then they get a sense of, okay, well, this is what it's like to work with you. You actually know your stuff. And then that's what converts really, really well. So even in, like I've tested all the different social media images and tiles and all, if you don't put your face in it, it won't have anywhere near the result than if it's your face. And if it's your face that's actually moving like a video or a reel, then even better. So you've got to show yourself. If you're not willing to show yourself and put yourself forward, you just, you're not going to win the game. Psychology. Coming up on The Psychology of Entrepreneurship. I can't possibly charge that much. Why not? Other people charge that much. Why can't you charge that much? 
when I'm presented with an opportunity, the filter through which I pass it through is, does this align with that bigger picture vision? If I say yes to this, is it bringing me closer to that bigger picture vision? I was so burnt out all the time because I was constantly focused on external metrics and I was constantly placing my worth, my value, my success on things that were outside of my control. Psychology of entrepreneurship. I interviewed Tina because Tina Tower is the author of One Life, How to Have the Life of Your Dreams, released in 2018. And now the author of the brand new book, Million Dollar Microbusiness. Get your book if you haven't already. I read it cover to cover. She has won the Telstra National Young Business Woman of the Year Award. She is an Australian business champion featured on the Today Show in the Financial Review on Sky Business, as well as The Business Woman to Watch by Huffington Post. She is a coach to online course creators, a podcaster, business strategist, and my friend. Psychology of Entrepreneurship. This is a Must Amplify production. Special thanks to every guest expert that has appeared on the show. Editing, sound design, and voiceovers by Tiago Vega, Kelly Bonniman, and Paula Vega. Produced and hosted by me, Ronsley Vaz. For more episodes and where to listen, please go to psychologyofentrepreneurship.com. Okay, so you listen to the end. Before you go, if you are a business and have a podcast, I have seven templates that every podcaster needs to grow their business. If you would like a copy of that, please send me a DM on Instagram at ronsleevaz. I'll happily send it to you. It's been used in literally tens of thousands of episodes to help podcasters grow their shows send me a message, you know, on Insta. Much love.